0: He's been advisor to presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Morning, I'll get clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you.
1: Stuck in the middle with clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right of me, and I'm on 77 ABC with my buddy and sidekick and creative expert and music man Whoa. and mural painter and artist, Doug DePiro.
0: Any more? Anything else?
1: Well, do you do anything else?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I can't walk through a restaurant with glasses without right, spilling. Right. That's the one
1: thing I can't do. Okay. Hi, Dick. My honor. Hello. So um, last yesterday they had the White House Correspondents Dinner in Washington. Trump had refused to do it because he felt that it was just absolute BS, that it was – like um like you know ca- catering to the Washington establishment, because you got all dressed up, and you came there. I remember when I went to my first one, I was sitting next to Britt Hume of Fox News, and uh every time my name was mentioned Hume, uh, Hume would lean over to me and say, "Nice mention, Dick, <laughs> and, and these guys were sort of sitting there counting how many times their names were mentioned, really um uh, my favorite line though was at one that I attended they uh had. Imus as the guest speaker and Bill and Hillary are on the dais with him, both of them in person and Imus says well, the election's coming and Bill wants four more years Hillary's looking at three to six <laughs>
0: <laughs> I kind to remember that I remember that. And
1: everybody went crazy. And um, <laughs> Who was the comedian? Who was it? Uh, Imus. Oh, yeah. and, and and Eileen, my wife, said, well, if they invited Imus to be the speaker, what'd they what expect? they expect? Knock, knock jokes? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Now, the Russians have basically concentrated in Ukraine now on the city of Mariupol, which is right on the Black Sea. And it's important because it's the outlet for Ukrainian products, particularly food, To the rest of the world, and it's one of the only warm water ports that Russia can get. See, the big dynamic here is that Russia has no ports that are usable 12 months a year. Uh, They uh, they have one or two or three, but most of their ports are icebound during the winter. Mm. So the Russian Navy has a a little bit of a problem sailing someplace Mm. because they can't get out and they can't get in other than that it's a really good navy. Um so they really want Mariupol. And uh during the period when when before you before Russia took over Crimea, uh the Ukrainian government well so told Russia it's okay to use Mariupol and to use Odessa and the various seaports on the Black Sea. We'll pay you to do that. We'll we'll let you pay us a rent to do that. Then Russia got insecure with that and said that that's why they're invading, so they can ensure access to the, to the Black Sea. But um, then they decided that wasn't good enough and they'd invade and try to take it back. And uh, that became their philosophy take it back.
0: If this is how you act, when you give your heart away, we'll take it back. Nice. Take it back.
1: I guess that's because they couldn't figure out a rhyme with champagne. Right. <laughs> that
0: was good. You're right.
1: But she's um, great, Reba. But basically this is the third attempt by Russia to break out in Ukraine. The first was the march on Kiev that didn't work. Then they announced a broad southern offensive across the entire Donbass region. That hasn't worked. And now they're concentrating on the city of Maripol and they have two hundred thousand Russian troops trying to take the city, and in fact what they've really done is flattened it. The only place that there are still troops there, Ukrainians, are in a steel mill that's gigantic, it's huge, it goes for several square miles, and it's built like a fortress, and it's totally impregnable, very hard to take over. So the Russians tried to bomb it into submission, and they refused, and now they're sort of concentrating there to attack it. I'm personally very worried that the Russians will – if there's one place they're going to drop an atomic bomb, I think it might be Mariupol because the city is being cleared of civilians. The Ukrainians are evacuating people there. There are about 100,000 people left there, but they're leaving. And uh, the brigade that is defending Mariupol is called the Azov Brigade, A-Z-O-V. And they are uh, they are basically Nazis. Uh, They they fought – they're a brigade that was left over from a group that fought on Hitler's side in World War II. And Putin keeps stressing how he's denazifying Ukraine. And I could see that he might try to take Mariupol and that the war is over because he's denazified Ukraine.
0: That's his saving face. Which is his saving face, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And it also might be the place where he could think – he could get use nuclear weapons and get away with it. Just bear that in mind. It's kind of a nightmare scenario, but it's it's possible. Mm. Now, the uh, if you're a fool and an idiot and you don't know what you're doing, you look at the growth rate and you say, "Wow, our economy is growing seven, eight percent a year." But you're like a hamster on a treadmill in a cage. You feel you're making a lot of progress, but it's coming around and around and around, and you're not going anywhere. The fact is that the economy is shrinking when you take the growth rate of about 7% and you subtract the inflation rate of 2% – I'm sorry, the economy of 7% and the inflation rate of 9%, and you end up with a negative growth rate of 2%. And uh, it's absolutely going backwards Now, this is the first time we've had negative growth since right after the crash of 2008 because of the savings and loan debacle. And uh, so it's a very serious matter. Two consecutive quarters of negative growth is officially called a recession. And uh, Biden is leading us into it. But it's not because of a failure of growth. It's because the mechanism he's using to achieve the growth was to print all kinds of money – and throw it out there. And as he was printing it, it was losing its value. And as it's losing its value, the prices are going up. So that you think you're getting a raise. You think you're getting a job. Whoopee. But then you go to the supermarket and the gas pump and you realize how crazy it is. Um, you, you really – well, the song I'm going to play is you're walking on broken glass. <laughs> To take a foray into poetry. When you're walking on broken glass, you know when you fall what you break. <laughs> yes, but I'm not allowed to say that. No, he can't. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Oh. Um, so uh it is it we really are, are getting it from the Biden presidency. And let's all remember that that, that Donald Trump and his economic advisor, who also appears on the station, uh Larry Kudlow, uh, gave us an economy that was completely balanced. There is always the need, and there's been this need since the 1950s, of balancing, on the one hand, having the economy grow, but not grow so fast that you trigger inflation, which undermines the growth and ultimately overtakes it. And that's the, that's the balancing act. It's like uh, like the, the guy that walks across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, balancing himself with the barbells. I'm sitting here on radio and I'm doing hand gestures. Right, right. <laughs> Is it, that's watch them on the radio. Yeah, it's watch great. me on the radio. It's yeah. a little The Lewinsky's,
0: are there, those guys?
1: I, I don't know. Was that the name? I,
0: I forget. I don't know. But the Smith the Lewinsky's. It's the not coast. the Lewinsky's. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: anyway, <laughs> the Smith end yeah they had their own mm. balancing act. Mm, oh yeah <laughs> <But> the, <laughs> that's hard but, but the problem here is that, is that 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 conflict between too much growth which causes inflation and too little growth that causes recession requires a very delicate balancing mm-hmm. the guy who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board in the 1950s said it best he actually was also my professor at Columbia. Hmm. He said that you have to take away the punch bowl just when the party is getting started. <laughs> when people start getting drunk, William McChesney Martin, when people start getting drunk and start getting high and the party becomes noisy, you have to take away the punch bowl so that they, they don't go crazy and they don't start over investing and overspending and, and printing ah, too much money. So you get to a point where where it goes out of control. You have to – but keep the punch bowl there while you're trying to rev up the party and get it going. But yeah, when very the good party analogy. gets going, you got to take away the punch bowl. I
0: didn't know where you were going with that at first. That's pretty and, good. And
1: here Biden not only didn't take away the punch bowl, he gave everybody shots all night long. Oh, moron. Of stimulus money and of COVID money. He handed
0: out crack pipes.
1: Yeah, and the, <laughs> he had to his son. And – everything that that just drove the economy crazy. And he hoped that he would ride that growth into the election. And instead the he growth rode better. him he doesn't know better, obviously? Well it it was What's, too tempting. Uh, you know, you know when you're drinking the punch bowl that it feels good and it's fun and, continue. and you enjoy it and you like the party to get hot and uh. the hotter it gets and the more you figure they'll like you and reelect you. But you don't realise that as you're doing that you're laying the groundwork for the whole thing falling apart. The You're causing the problem. Uh, you, the more money you print, the more money people get paid. The more the wages go up. You figure, wow, I'm going to have a great economy going into the election. But you don't realize that that inflation that you're causing is making it impossible for the economy to grow. Because there's more demand for stuff because people have more income. But then... How are you going to satisfy the demand? How are you going to produce enough goods and services to do give them what they want? Mm. And you can't because of high prices. You can't because you can't get the cars and trucks. uh, You can't get the gas uh, cheaply. uh, There are bottlenecks in the supply chain. Mm. And ultimately, you can't produce as much as the demand requires. And that means that the price goes up too much demand and too little supply.
0: That's where Donald Trump came in. He, he, was able he had the balance right. Yeah. He
1: exactly had it he right. He was
0: unbelievable.
1: So the stat that I think is really important here is that from the start of Obama's term and first term until the end of Trump's term in that 12-year period, the politicians went a little nuts and they printed $6 trillion of money largely under Obama to recover from the savings and loan crisis I mean the uh the subprime crisis and they did that was and that was unfortunate but in 2021 one year they printed six trillion dollars one year one year they printed as much as they had printed during the 12 previous years and they just kept and they're still keeping doing it and because it's funny money it's funny money it's monopoly, monopoly. money People are losing confidence in it because there's so much of it. Uh, people are spending so much of it, and there's so little to buy with it that prices just keep going absolutely crazy. And uh, that that accounts for the broken glass uh, spewed all over us. So give me a call at 1-800-848-WABC, wabc 848
0: It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC.
1: There's always been a statute on the federal books since the 60s uh, called Title 42 that says that a president can order uh, people not to be led into the U.S. if they constitute a public health emergency. and kind of like the leper colony law. Keep them out because you don't want to spread the disease here in the U.S. And Trump used that uh, to keep people out of the U.S. during the COVID epidemic. And then Biden extended it. And it always was an inherent conflict here for Biden. Because on the one hand, he wanted to encourage immigrants to come in uh, because he wanted their votes. And on the other hand, he, the COVID crowd, who were largely Democrats, the kind who wear masks when they're driving through the Holland Tunnel alone, alone. in their cars with the windows up. Yeah, that's wretched. Uh, those kind of folks did not want to let anybody in because they're scared to death that it'll spread COVID. So we had a real conflict. And the other problem was that the law only permitted him to keep him out um, because of COVID, uh, Section 42. Now that COVID is going away and everybody's forced to recognize it, even Fauci, the (laughs) courts are announcing that, hey, Title 42 expires on May 25th, and you have to get a renewal of that declaration. And he really can't do it because there's no basis for it. So now he's going to incur the wrath. A of those who want to restrict immigration, illegal immigration, and B of those who are obsessed with COVID and scared to death about it, and they're a very important part of Biden's constituency. From the start of the COVID epidemic, the Trump vote and the independent vote was much more relaxed about this than the Biden vote was. You used to go, I used to go to the South, and nobody was wearing masks, but in New York, everybody would. Be masked uh, all I'd over yell the place. At you
0: if you don't have one on. Oh my God!
1: Right, and uh, and and then the stats came out, which showed that it made absolutely no difference. That the uh, death rate in New York was the same as it was in Florida, mm. and that the uh, COVID infection rate in New York uh, was not lower than Florida. So all these restrictions really amounted to nothing. But now that crowd that is is scared to death of COVID is really going to start being mad at Biden. In the meantime, my God, wait wait till they start. People are going to flood in like crazy. Um, You know, they used to have the thing called the Oklahoma Land Rush when Oklahoma was open for settlement uh, because they basically restricted the Indian reservations and said uh, Americans can go in there. There was a moment when they announced that the Oklahoma Territory was open, and all of a sudden the gates went up, and settlers were lined up for miles with their covered wagons, and they all ran like hell to go out and claim all the land they could. Like a Walmart uh, sneaker rush? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Walmart's open, yeah. yeah. And that was called the Oklahoma Land Rush, and now you're going to have the Oklahoma Land Rush throughout the United States and it's going to cause massive, massive
0: immigration. what did you hear, my blue-eyed son? And what did you hear, my darling young one? I heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning I heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world It's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain's are gonna fall.
1: And that's the weather forecast for the new, for the United States border. But you know the Democrats have so grossly miscalculated on the immigration issue. They just assumed that if you let all the immigrants into the United States. You'd just change America's population. You'd get tens and tens of millions of people who would come in who were poor, who were Latino, and could be counted on to vote Democrat. And they succeeded. They opened the gates, and we now probably have a, popu- a voting population, by the time they register and everything, of almost 2 million people more than we had when Biden took office. And by the time he leaves office, it'll probably be 4 or 5 wow. million more. Uh, But the problem is that they're not voting the way the Democrats want it. Mm. Um, The Hispanic vote in the United States has shifted fundamentally to the Republican Party. Um, The economic mayhem going on in the country, inflation, all of the other issues that are driving us to want Trump back and to want the Republicans in are affecting the Hispanic population. Plus something else that's very big, which is that the new left the woke left is so anti-american and so bent on putting down the United States, rewriting our history so that our heroes aren't heroes. We're villains. Uh, George Washington owned slaves. So did Thomas Jefferson, even Abraham Lincoln wanted to send blacks back to Africa to set up colonies. Like that's how the country of Liberia was founded in Africa. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, poor guy, whose statue was taken down outside the Museum of Natural History. I hate that.
0: I hate that.
1: All he did was found the environmental movement. (laughs) He was the first green guy in politics. And he created the national park system. And his statue gets taken down in front of the museum. He founded the Museum of Natural History. Unbelievable. Anyway, the more they put this country down, the more Latinos say, hey, guys, wait a minute. I came here. Or well, my father did, and mother did. They risked their lives to come here. They certainly risked a life of poverty, and, uh, and they were escaping oppression. And you want to bring that right back here to the U.S., and we're not going to let you do it. And particularly those people who came from countries like Guatemala and Venezuela and Cuba, and that are subject to this kind of dictatorship, uh, are absolutely determined not to let it happen again in the U.S. And they're switching. So even as the Democrats try to pack the electorate, they're packing it with people who are going to vote against them. And that's going to be the big surprise in the 22 election. All over the country, the Democrats have been busy, as the Republicans have, trying to stack the reapportionment, calling calling it gerrymandering, so that the districts would elect Democrats or Republicans. And they're faithfully using the demographics to determine that. And they're full of it. They're absolutely wrong. All of them. They're using the past voting habits. And they're saying, oh, Hispanics always vote Democrat. So I'm going to make this district instead of 60 uh, percent Hispanic, I'm going to make it 70 percent. I'm going to increase it from 20 to 30, and that's going to increase my chances. But it's not because those are not automatic votes. Those folks are going to get in the voting booth and going to vote Republican uh, because they're so mad at all of these issues. So they think they're shifting votes, but they're really not. I hope they're not listening. They're just playing map games. Well, there's nothing else they can do. They're going to run out of people. Uh, The Democratic Party has four legs that hold it up. It's like a donkey with four feet. Or an ass with four feet. (laughs) That's what they are. (laughs) One is the black vote. And there they're losing black men who are saying that black women are getting all of the advantages Biden says he'll appoint a Supreme Court judge who's a black woman, not a black man, but a black woman. And black men are increasingly resenting that. He's losing the young people's vote. All of the recent surveys have shown that millennials and Gen X and Gen Z's, Gen Z's are younger than millennials. I They're know what that is. under 25 years old now. And they are the big group that is getting off of Biden and supporting the Republicans. Uh, Gen X and Gen Zs, under twenty five, Gen Z, twenty five to thirty five, Millennials, and they are shifting dramatically. The third leg of the donkey is Hispanics, and now almost more Hispanics identify themselves as Republican than as Democrat. Certainly outside of California, that's true. I mean, just here in New York, in the twenty uh, in the in the twenty two thousand election. Uh, Trump damn near carried a bunch of districts in Spanish Harlem uh, and and along the Texas border. uh, Counties like like Jefferson Davis County and the El Paso area um, all began to go Republican for the first time in history. And finally, the suburban white women, suburban college educated women who were a mainstay of the Democratic Party, one of the Four legs holding up the donkey. They are turning on the Democrats because they're parents and they insist on stopping. They don't want their, their, their eight year old kids to learn about sexual diversity and cover, uh, uh, pedophilia in their textbooks and explain how to do oral sex in yeah. their textbooks. Uh, it, it, and, and then the kids are required to read that. So. They're rebelling, and that's the fourth leg of the donkey.
0: And the critical race thing, too.
1: Critical race theory and all that. Mm -hmm. And the donkey's running out of legs. So (laughs) (laughs) he'll come crashing down. That's right. So so we're really dealing with something. And I think ultimately the electorate has one big message, which is to Donald Trump, come back. (laughs) That'll be the theme song of the voters who supported Joe Biden. Right.
0: prettygoldguide.com It's Sunday and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Every
1: I'll get down the so
0: give me a call 800 848 WABC 800
1: 848 9222. Let me know what you think. Um,
0: I- I'm going to call in.
1: All right. Okay. <laughs> um, that thing in front of you, it's a microphone. You don't a, need the phone. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, Hello, Mike. Why are gas prices so high? Um, part of it is the war. Part of it is Biden's inflationary policies. Part of it is the administration's refusal to expand the oil supply by its because of its commitments to, cli- to oppose climate change all of those enter into it but the fundamental reason is that oil company executives are the most skittish nervous people in the world. Uh, you don't want to marry them <laughs> you don't want to live <laughs> with them because they're rich but they're scared to death. Because when you think about it, that oil industry has two fundamental things that really rack their brains. The first is it's one of the only industries where the price can fall to damn near zero. Uh, with COVID, for example, when the COVID pandemic hit, or you, could, you couldn't give oil away. What people needed for you weren't allowed to be out driving. You weren't allowed to be out. You couldn't buy anything. Uh, and And oil was was the price the price of oil went crashing down, and then during recessions, uh nobody buys anything, nobody produces anything. The price also goes crashing down and the oil company executive doesn't have the faintest idea what his product is going to be able to sell for next week or next month, much less next year Wow, and at the same time. To produce oil takes a lot of time and a lot of capital and a big investment. You have to first find the oil and drill a whole bunch of dry holes before you can do it. Hmm. Then when you find a hole that provides oil, offshore you need to build a rig, onshore you need to import the bring in the equipment, and you need to drill it. You need to hope you're right that there's oil there. And then after a long time, you finally – were able to produce the oil and yeah it's black gold but but how long does it take you to get it and by the time you've gotten it what's the price of oil when you started to drill it was 7 60, 70 80 bucks a barrel now it's 10 bucks a barrel and you're stuck oh wow this stuff is coming out of the ground and you can't stop it mm. and it's either coming out and you're making hand over fist of money from it or you're getting bupkis from it because the price of oil is way, way down. And you can't tell and you can't predict it. So when the president of the United States starts telling the world that he hates you and that he thinks that you're horrible and you're destroying the planet and he's committed to your extinction, he wants to replace you with a windmill and with a uh, a solar battery. What are you going to do? Are you going to invest hundreds of millions of dollars, put your whole company on the line and risk bankruptcy, uh, to produce the oil? Cause today there's a high oil price and today the president is imploring you to do that. He used to say, don't drill for oil. Now he's the head of cheerleader for build baby, drill baby drill. Idiot. And you're not going to, you're not going to trust him. You're not going to be able to count on him. big chorus coming up from Texas uh, when you when they hear that song saying, BS, <laughs> this is absolute, you're not going to con me into counting on you. Uh, how can I count on you? You hate my industry. You want to destroy it. If I'm doing well, you want to take all the money in taxes. And in any case, you want to stop me from succeeding because you're opposed to the product I'm creating. And don't give me this baloney now. That, oh, you can count on me and please drill and save the planet by uh, producing enough energy, defeat the Russian invasion, let Europe be independent. Uh, that's all cool, but I don't believe you for one minute. So sure. I'm not going to drill oil for you. And that's what's going on now. Even with the high price of gas, the number of oil rigs being drilled in the United States is still 25% below what it was before the pandemic and U S oil production is 10 to 20% below what it was in 2019 before the pandemic. Uh, So they're just not buying it. And Joe Biden is the single reason that gas prices are so high. Not that he caused all of it. Putin caused some of it. The invasion didn't help the uh, economy going down. Didn't help Uh, COVID uh, hurt. But, but, the, he didn't re- help. but the resonance here is because of the insecurity of you don't know what Washington is going to do. They're controlling you every move. They control whether you can drill. They control where you can drill. They control how much profit you can make. They control how much gas you can sell.
0: Well, the confidence and,
1: down. and confidence is just totally shot. Uh-huh. And that's what you're looking at here. Trump, by contrast, oh. when oil prices were down because of COVID – Trump stepped in and said, I'm going to save the oil industry, which was not politically popular. And he intervened. He got in touch with the G7 world, the G20 nations, and he got them all to increase their uh, to increase their production. And he got them all to prop up the price of oil. I didn't know this. And uh, And the oil prices were crashing, and Trump pulled them back up. They went down to about 20 a barrel, and he pulled them back up to 50. And all of the Democrats said, hey, you're just paying off your friends in Texas. You're just paying off your campaign contributors. But he said, no, we've got to have some stability in the oil market. Otherwise, it is going to really crash and it is going to really hurt. And that's exactly what's happening now. So the cause of this crisis is Joe Biden. And whether it's because – it's like saying the cause of my car falling apart is the potholes – Well, the cause of your car falling apart is you don't have any shock absorbers. (laughs) And you don't (laughs) maintain it. You don't maintain it. Yeah, you don't maintain your car. Uh And don't blame it on the street. Uh, Your car should be built to deal with that stuff. But it isn't because Biden completely told the oil companies, this is a better world without you. I want you to go to hell. I want you to get lost. Now he's coming back like. Whitney Houston just said, "You can count on me." Yeah. and they're saying baloney. The hell, we can count on you.
0: Didn't Trump at one point get oil almost for nothing? The the the,
1: um, the boats out on the, in the Gulf. Well, they the, would. Yeah, it, oil was very cheap. And he almost, but but he regarded that as a problem because he said, "Yeah, it's nice now that oil's cheap, and I'll get votes for that." But what I need, what we need, is long term price stability. And Biden threw that away because he wanted to go after the green vote. The green vote is fine; renewables are fine. Yeah, sure. But but don't don't jump off. Don't walk the plank until you you your boat is operable. Yeah, right until you know that there's an alternative. Don't get off the boat until you're at the dock. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that that's a good thought. Yeah. Now, there is a long history in American politics of isolationism, and it was the dominant thought. In American politics After George Washington gave a speech At the end of his presidency His farewell address Where he said beware of foreign Entangling alliances Let Europe kill itself Europeans always have wars Stay away from it You got two big oceans here protecting you God put us here between the oceans And they'll protect you Don't worry about getting Choosing sides In global conflict we realized that this fortress deep and mighty doesn't protect Pearl Harbor, that they could put an aircraft carrier on the water and knock out Pearl Harbor. Then we realized in 2001 that this fortress deep and mighty doesn't protect you against aerial attack, even from your own planes getting hijacked. And we began to realize more and more that isolationism was a fool's dream and was something that we could – talk about and take security in, but was absolutely not there. Whenever I talk to Europeans about foreign policy, I always say, remember, America is isolationist. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Um, How does a country like uh, Belgium believe in isolationism? They're they're 100 miles wide. They got France on one side, Germany on the other side, Britain across the river, the channel, and Russia behind Germany so I'm going to be isolationist I'm going to say Belgium first I'm not going to worry about the rest of right, the world right uh, i got it's it's like saying uh, I'm going to occupy my parking lot and, right. and defend it and not worry who's outside hmm. and they see how absurd that is, but in the u s we don't because we have such a such a large separation from the rest of the world, and that strain of isolationism is still there and still. Very important to the American people. Americans who have not learned their lesson from Pearl Harbor, from 9-11, from the expansion of the Soviet Empire, the Berlin Wall, the threat of nuclear annihilation. They haven't learned from any of this. They still believe they're a rock and they're an island. And this is an increasing force in our politics as a result of the Ukrainian invasion. And the traditional isolationists are out there peddling their, their, their opium again, saying that you don't have to worry about any of this. You're a rock and you're an island. And, uh, they are using the same arguments that they've always used and have used to deceive people for decades in the United States. We'll talk about that more when we come back.
0: It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Someday it's church day for me.
1: So, Tucker Carlson last night was on uh, Fox News. And Fox News has become literally Vladimir Putin's station. Um, They're always echoing... I mean, they're okay on all, most other issues, but on Ukraine, they're absolutely crazy, completely isolationist. So he was on saying, how can we spend thirty-three million billion billion dollars, sending equipment to Ukraine when we need it here at home? We, we're drawing down our own inventory of weapons and shipping them to Ukraine. And that is precisely and exactly, almost verbatim, What the isolationists led by Charles Lindbergh said when when Roosevelt began to send bombers and ships to Britain to help Churchill stop Hitler from invading Great Britain. And they all said, how can we do that when our air force is depleted, our Navy is being depleted, and we're going to need both of them when we get invaded? And Roosevelt and Churchill basically said, by the time you're invaded, it's too damn late you got to stop Hitler before he gets to the American shores. And by that, we got to send – lend lease to Britain so that we don't get to that point. And that's exactly the point that we need now. And uh, the isolationist ideal – at one point, he said $33 billion to the border. Have that money for our border? I said, we don't need money for our border. We just need to patch up the holes in the wall and stop people from coming in. More money for the border says I'm going to build, give you a bigger bucket to stop the water from coming in the bottom of your boat. <laughs> right. The hell you do? You just patch the hole. Right. So this is really driving me crazy. This whole focus on, on isolationism and opposing, uh, opposing what we need to do. Do we have our friend Judith on? Yes, she is. Okay. We had to invite Judith. She calls every, every She's week. She's the best. And I love her calls, but she couldn't get through. Yeah, go for it, kid.
0: Hey, hi, guys.
1: You wanted want me to put you on speaker? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is called determination. You ain't kidding. This, this is called determination. Yeah. I want you to know, because the phones were not answering, weren't working. We're getting so jammed up like... with calls, June. It's amazing. Oh, oh, wow, wow, wow. I feel so bad. Sorry. So, um, I'm, lucky, I'm lucky to get through. Hi, how are you guys? Good?
1: We're fine. We miss you. Yes, miss go you. ahead.
0: Okay, so two things. I'm calling about Mike Pence on January 6th, so something bothers me very much, and you know everything, so You're going to help me out here. But before that, now I understand why punch... Punch is called punch bowl. <laughs> <laughs> after you get drunk, after you get solidly drunk, you start getting out of head. Punch, you, start, you, start, you, start, you, know, you get punched. And you punch yeah, people. You get, yes. punch there, punch. You yeah. there you go. You never know. Okay. January 6th. They're so busy and there's so much to say about it, but I'm now focusing on the man, Mike Pence. And Dick. you need to help me out. He recently, not that long ago, said a misleading and lying comment that bogged me a lot. He basically said that Donald Trump wants Mike Pence to overturn the election results, but I did not have the power, says Mike Pence. But guess what? On uh, day, January 6th, he could have simply said, I cannot verify, therefore I cannot certify. He could have done that. Yep. So tell me, Dick, is he part of the GOP swamp? Could you please tell him? I put people in categories. I went, yeah, well, he went Trump, from good guy to really bad guy. Okay. To
1: me. Well, Trump is right. Biden could have said that. The Constitution not gives Biden, it. Let me tell you, uh, depends. The right. Constitution gives him that power. Uh, not explicitly, it says that the vice president shall certify the results, and he should have said what Ted Cruz and others at the time said he should have said, which is, "I can't certify the results because of all the questions swirling about them." Uh, I would. I want a commission to investigate this. Why didn't he do it, Dick? Get back to me in a week and tell me. Um,
0: Why didn't he do it? Why? uh,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I I think Pence was always loyal to Trump, but I guess ambition got the better of him or or people surrounded him with input. But there was such tremendous pressure on him, and he caved. It uh, would have
0: made such a difference. It would have made such a difference, Dick. It would have made such a difference. It sure would have. No, but I'm wondering if he's part of the swamp I don't know you No, know, I mean he wasn't he wasn't
1: before, but so Judith, let me let me take some of these yeah. other calls. He, he wasn't okay. part of the swamp before, but you know, that was swamp like. <laughs> Thank you, yep. Judith. Yep. Thank you, Judith. Thank you, Kiddo. Uh let's go to um let's go to Jerry in New Brunswick. Hey Jerry. Yes, Dick. Thanks
0: for taking the call. Uh I just had a question. I don't know why conservatives and a lot of Republicans do such a poor job in attacking this climate science crisis, this junk science, basically. We don't make it clear that this is all coming from climate computer models. It's not yep. empirical science. Absolutely. Yep. And if you took all the things they're talking about, you could have written the same articles any time over the last 50 million years. Maybe four and
1: a half yeah. billion years, <laughs> assuming yeah. humans were around. We yeah, would have had trouble chiseling it. Look, the point I make is is not so much that. I think that's true. I think that's important. There's a wonderful book called Settled? question um, mark, That questions climate science. written by Obama's chief climate guy, Undersecretary of Energy. But the real issue I talk about is that Donald Trump – was the leading environmentalist in stopping climate change because whether he believed in it or not, he sure as hell believed that we should become energy independent. And he was determined to replace coal with natural gas throughout the country uh, so that we could stop climate change if it was happening. And basically what he said was, I'm going to make I'm going to increase the supplies of natural gas through fracking. I have this wonderful new technology where I can drill horizontally underground. don't have to go punching holes in the earth to do it. And the amount of of energy that I can get from shale rock will dwarf anything Saudi Arabia, Russia, or any other country has. So go to it, guys. Flood me with natural gas. And he did. And the amount of energy uh, that comes from natural – from coal dropped from about 50 percent of our economy to about 24 percent. And the American contribution to global warming went way, way down. He cut climate ga- – hothouse gas emissions by more than the entire rest of the world combined. and uh, and, and that's the answer. The answer is not to wait till the windmill replaces it and the, and the, uh, na- the uh, gas turbines work, uh, solar energy works. Uh, w- go now with natural gas. You've got plenty of it. It is half the carbon emissions, the, the carbon footprint of coal. Go with gas. And the environmentalist came in and said, oh, no, you mustn't do it. Tracking for some mystic, mystic, mystical reason harms the earth and is violating God's creation. <laughs> and they believe in we, God. Can't, we can't go with it. And uh, a good example for us is if you've ever toured upstate New York, it's still poor as hell. It's a recession. It's West Virginia in New York. If you ever toured outstate Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, Johnstown, Altoona, Scranton, they're getting rich as hell. Uh, those poor areas are booming uh, because of one reason: Pennsylvania permitted fracking, and New York state did not it 's the best instance I can hear think of of where a governor policy totally affected whether his region wow. became successful or not
0: where in new york where
1: uh, binghamton oh, sure. uh, syracuse mm-hmm. utica rochester they 've lost half their population. Uh, The big reason New York has become Democrat is because the Republicans have all died or moved out (laughs) because they all lived upstate. That used to offset the votes of New York City. Right. Now the population of of, uh, Utica is down below 100,000. Syracuse, it went from a quarter of a million to 100,000. Buffalo used to be close to a million. Now it struggles to get over 300,000. Wow. All because of the economic depression all because we would not allow fracking to take place. So regardless of who caused the problem, Trump caused the solution and Biden is stopping it. Uh, Let's go to uh, Rick in Newport beach, California. Hi, Rick. Hey, Dick. uh, First, you are brilliant. Uh, Thank you. my My question regards income inequality in America. Um, A a symptom of which I believe, and I'm kind of in this business, is that a younger generation now does not believe that an option in life is for them to purchase a home.
0: Now, socialists obviously are all over this for, for obvious reasons. My questions to you are, one, does income equality exist in this
1: country and to what extent? And two, what would you do to remedy it if it does? Okay. God bless you for calling. I've been waiting for this question all my life uh, because I research it every year. There was was very little income inequality in the U.S. until the 60s. Then, and much of it was senior citizens who, when Social Security went on automatic pilot with cost of living raises, that eliminated much of the inequality. Racial inequality and gender inequality, which is really what you're talking about, really started to take off in the 70s, built up in the 80s, grew in the 90s, uh, and really soared under in the 2000s under Bush and under Obama. Income inequality became dramatically reduced, dramatically reduced under President Trump. Amazingly reduced. The in under trump the income growth of the bottom 80% of the country exceeded the t- income growth of the top 20% by two or three times as much uh, the uh, the bottom grew by about uh, 7% a year and the top grew by about 1 or 2% a year and the result the reason for that was that trump's tax cut of uh, 2013 that was seen as in, as giving to the rich and taking from the poor did the exact opposite. It was the first tax cut in history aimed at fighting income inequality. First thing they did was they said, everybody gets a free tax credit of $1,000 and then $2,000 per child. Don't, doesn't matter what the income is. Doesn't matter if they're poor or not. They they get a credit on their income tax for each child. Huge change because everybody had children, but very few people uh, – but, but income was much more limited. Then the second thing that he did was that he changed the income tax bracket to a point where p- about the number of people who did not have to file for income taxes doubled in the United States. Third thing he did was he cracked down on Chinese imports, lowered them by about – 20% right. uh, change NAFTA so that the, so that imports didn't drive down wages. The fourth thing he did was he closed the border so that you didn't have a flow of low income people competing for jobs and taking away the money from people that lived here. And those America first policies worked like crazy. Income inequality dropped enormously. And by the way, apart from inequality, Median household income in the United States, after taxes, after infl- not not after taxes but after inflation, rose from fifty four thousand dollars per household to sixty three thousand dollars wow. per household wow. under Donald Trump. Previously it's had like gone a up thousand by dollars only, a month. Right, income grew three times as much under Trump as it had under Obama, and more than it had under Clinton. So. This income inequality is a staple of democratic rhetoric, but it is obsolete. Now, Biden has brought it back. Uh, Income inequality has increased. He's masked it over by printing money and distributing cash. Mm. But when you take away the welfare money and you just look at what people are earning from the economy, income inequality has risen under Biden. And God bless you for asking my question. I've waited my whole life for somebody to great. ask me when I have a mic in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a great weekend, guys. Thank you, Dick you Morris. It's care. an honor. Bye-bye.